Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, really glad to have all of you today. We are going to talk about coronavirus. That's sweeping the world and putting a lot of people in misery. And, and of course, as value investors, what we are interested in ha- is how this virus is impacting investment and the market. Um, so... In this episode, we will talk about exactly that. Uh, before that, before we do that, Hari, can you give us a quick disclaimer? Yeah, um, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. Um, uh, this is the podcast that uh, teaches you how to be a value investor and the concepts behind value investing. Uh, we are not your financial advisor, nor do we know your specific financial situation. So if you are in need of those services, please contact a specific uh, advisor for uh, for that. Awesome. All right, Hari. Um, so maybe I, I'll give you a quick, uh, you know, maybe a quick color on what this looks like on the ground. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not, my family isn't from China, but they live pretty close to China. Uh, so my family lives in South Korea. And obviously, because it is so close, uh, you know, they are on the ground experiencing something like, you know, what it is, what's going on in China. So maybe I'll start with that. So, you know, my parents uh, and my friends and family uh, have been telling me that, um, uh, you know, like the, the, you know, obviously you've seen it on the news that number of masks uh, available for people to bar- purchase, um, people are, uh, you know, aren't able to get uh, kind of resources they need. And there's a lot of panic in in, in, in Asia. Um, and that's kind of spreading all across the world. Um, this started, this coronavirus thing started sometime in December. Uh, and then got, you know, got spread all over the world, starting with uh, countries in Asia, Singapore, um, Philippines, Vietnam, Korea, Japan. Um, you know, what's interesting is, the rate at which this virus spreads, um, you know, this is one of those one of those viruses that it, it is it is deadly, but not as deadly as some other viruses. But the rate at which this you know the coronavirus spreads is you know pretty you know at a, at a really breakneck speed. So um, it has obviously gotten attention of uh, you know you know um, uh, health officials all around the world, including uh, WHO. Hopefully. None of your family has been affected by this, Ari. No, I, I mean, as far as I know, nobody in my extended family has anything uh, related to it. Um, you know, I, I still have uh, quite a few family members in India, but uh, as far as I know, India doesn't have any um, anything. But I think the, uh, you know, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I, I'm I'm a practicing physician. Um, and, you know, almost every hospital clinic and so on has now protocols for quarantining patients who are coming back from China, you know, saying that. And, you know, that was initially what we were doing in January. And now it's at the level of uh, travel bans um, to and from China. Have uh, uh, And if you are coming back from China because you're a U.S. citizen, you're being quarantined for 14 days, which is the incubation period for uh, for the virus. So. I mean, the, the interesting thing about this is it is, I mean, as as viruses go, it's, you know, it's like a very bad flu um, in terms of 
uh, morbidity and mortality. But, you know, the people who are dying from it generally have, you know, what's called comorbid conditions, which is they have some other disease like diabetes or, um, you know, heart failure or they've had other prob- medical problems. Um, and, you know, for the, 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 the vast majority of the people who get it, it's, uh, you know, it's a very bad cold, you know, pneumonia slash, you know, flu uh, flu-like symptoms, and then, um, but it, but the thing that is making it so bad is that it is very, very infectious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think initially China, as China uh, is want to do, and as as communist countries do, they kind of hide the truth, right? And so, um, you know, no one really knew how bad this was. They thought it wasn't that infectious, um, and uh, it is spread very quickly. And what that has led is, you know, a very delayed kind of reaction from the Chinese government because they wanted to downplay its significance, Mm -hmm. led to this thing spreading to a much, you know, further region than just the Wuhan uh, region of province of of China. Um, And when we start talking about why that's so important, um, you know, the the uh, you know, we will. But I think the the main takeaway from this kind of. Uh, discussion is is that you know as, as value investors you don't really know um, when things like this can happen right uh, in 2001 or 2002 China had a similar outbreak uh, of called SARS um, which had very similar kind of infectivity um, but it was more self-limited and at the time China was a much smaller economy right mm-hmm. um, I think China has uh, has grown significantly since then and it's uh, place on the world stage has also grown in significance. And so, you know, in an interconnected world with everybody trading and everybody relying, you know, China is now the second largest economy. So um, initially the impact was probably going, you know, people thought, oh, it's just an outbreak, whatever. It's not going to be a big deal. But now that China is shutting down factories, um, preventing businesses from, you know, even opening, um, I mean, I think it's having a bigger impact than people you know, originally thought. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, we'll, we'll finish up with the, the medical aspects of this and, you know, then we'll actually talk about the economic uh, impacts of this is, um, you know, this normally viruses like the flu and other things are transmitted by human to human contact. So they are trying to isolate uh, people from um, other, uh, other folks or if you've been in contact with people who've been sick, they're trying to isolate those folks from uh, other um, individuals uh, because of the infectious nature of this. But the interesting thing to me is that this this virus is a beta co- coronavirus. Um, it is a, you know, it, it was not previously found in humans that we know of. So they, they suspect that uh, a bat, um, you know, it, it has a 96% overlap with with known bat coronaviruses and so we suspect that this is coming from uh you know either um somebody got infected from respiratory droplets from a bat or they ate a bat uh, and got it that way so mm. there's also an interesting kind of intermediary that came up also in some of the articles where it was bat that gave it to some other animal and then yeah. that that other animal gave it to human yeah so a pangolin is the uh is they thought to be the intermediary. Um, so mm-hmm. a pangolin, for those of you who don't know, uh, it, it, it kind of looks like a armadillo. Um, yeah. 
so I, yeah. how that how that happened, I have no idea. But um, what's what's also kind of interesting about these these viruses that originates from bat is that like SARS was speculative to be kind of have the similar pathway to humans, starting from, with bat and then going to some kind of like cat. I don't know exactly what type of animal that was, but through that and then uh, the Middle Eastern something, some Middle East syndrome, something like that, that yeah, happened. MERS. And that also came from bat and then to, to camel and then to human. It's interesting how like bat is the originator for, for a lot of these viruses. It just, it's a host of a lot of the viruses, but it, yeah. it gets transferred over via another vehicle. I'm not going to say what you should do, but just medically speaking, just don't eat a bat, please. Like, that's first of all it's gross uh and second of all it's really gross so and third third you're probably going to cause the next outbreak of god only knows what so it's interesting uh, like the the bats are known to be this host of so many different viruses you know it's yeah. it's just it's crazy how physiological that works uh i read i read a couple of articles about that how bats are host of a lot of viruses and yet they're able to survive They've they've built up this immune system to be able to kind of coexist with viruses, with a, a whole whole host of viruses. Yeah, I, as far as I know, it doesn't even infect the bat. It's just kind of a lingers there. So yeah, I mean it's gross, right? Like if you've ever seen a bat, I love me some bats. Like they eat mosquitoes here in Texas. Fantastic. Just don't eat them. That's just you know that that ain't right. So stick with delicious animals like cows. And, and pork and by the way i just chickens. had to mention harry is from texas so he's biased on that uh he's a he's a beef man yeah i am because <laughs> beef is delicious so <laughs> okay um so that's you know kind of the background of coronavirus it's infecting the world we're recording right now this episode on the 16th of february it is still the fever around coronavirus is still at its at its you know it's still climbing to new heights every day Numbers coming out of China is growing. Um, just a couple days ago, when they recalculated, redefined how you calculate number of people who are infected by coronavirus, it jumped. Uh, it jumped significantly, materially, and so it is still going up. Um, we're still experiencing it, and so it, you know, as value investors, we have to kind of think about how. You know, I guess the question for this episode is: How do you think about things like this, where you don't expect? You know, obviously, who would have expected coronavirus to to occur around this time? No one. I mean, maybe a few here and there, but you know, as value investors, how do you think about that? And when you know, as as something like this occurs, how do you how do you think about your investment portfolio? Um, yeah. So, so Hari, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I think the first the the answer to that is not every company is going to be affected the same, right? So companies with very large moats that are well run that are not financially dependent on you know that that are not financially dependent on a on the economy running perfectly right are are going to be the best stocks in these um you know when things like this hit and the reason for that is when you have a very large moat you can kind of weather the storm of you know um uh, a company, you know, your supply chain being disrupted by, uh, you know, a market in China that is not shipping, you know, for example, in Wuhan, they ship uh, car parts to a lot of the world. Um, a lot of the factories that are being affected now are, 
you know, heavy in, in manufacturing and in industrial. And a lot of these businesses are heavily dependent on, you know, this supply chain. So, you know, in a, in a long-term fashion, companies can shift their supply chain to other places, but in the short term, it's very hard for them to do so, right? Because you're expecting a 90 days out, you know, how much are you going to build? How much are you going to need? You probably don't stock, you know, 90 days worth of parts, right? What you do is you, you get on-demand shipments and then you kind of know how much you're going to build in every, you know, quarter or every season. And, you know, China is the largest importer of raw materials, right? Because they turn those raw materials into things that then get put into, you know, finished goods, right? Sometimes they finish them in China. Sometimes they're finished in the U.S. or other places, uh, right? But, you know, they are converting a lot of things into things that get used in the products that we we use every day. Um, <clears throat> and so I think there's a lot of companies that are in the automotive industry and so on that are going to be affected. Um, and, you know, interestingly, a lot of this quarantine is actually going to have a, a positive impact for for businesses that are in China that are purely online. Right? if you think about a company that is, um, if you're stuck at home, you can't leave the house um, and, you know, you're under a quarantine, what are you going to do? Well, most people will spend their time, you know, on entertainment um, and that entertainment will probably be things that are online services, you know, movies, TVs, etc. So, you know, are there beneficial, you know, companies that will benefit from this, you know, quote unquote, you know, um, systemic shock, right? And I think there are. There's plenty of internet-based companies and things like that in China too. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's interesting that you point that out because you know, for every crisis, let's call them every crisis that happens, there's always winners and losers in that for for everything. Um, and so I think it's important to think about these sort of, uh, you know, um, highly unpredictable events to, you know, from value investing standpoint, like to think about it from the perspective of, okay, who can be the winners, who can be the losers? And obviously the, a lot of heavy manufacturing, uh, you know, automotive industry, like you mentioned, Hari, uh, perhaps a lot of agriculture industry that exists around the area, uh, uh, things like that. Industries like that would be affected, but other industries like you mentioned, entertainment industry, online, digital content industry could be a boon for, th for this. Although I will, s although this is like you said, it's a systemic shock across the entire world. But at the same time, this is an acute systemic shock, yep. where it's it's a you know it's not a fundamental paradigm shifting kind of. For example, you know, example that comes to mind is, for example, like tariff war with a little bit you know, longer time horizon with U.S. kind of taking a different stance. It's more of a systemic. Uh, we're kind of using medical term, but more chronic kind of situation where this is still systemic, but more acute. Uh, and so there might be an arbitrage where you can play here uh, in a relatively shorter timeline. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's safe to say two and a half months ago, nobody knew or expected this to come out. Right. <clears throat> and so I think a lot of companies that are heavily dependent on heavy manufacturing, you know, that, is coming out of Wuhan are, um, you know, may not have alternatives if they have, you know, sole suppliers. Um, and I think that, 
you know, that kind of also indicates, you know, you should be paying attention very closely to conference calls uh, and press releases now from companies that are in these industries to see what their expectation is for for this. Because, you know, China has been saying for prior to this that they were going to grow about 6% annualized their GDP. Um, and now when you shut down businesses for weeks at a time, uh, growth is not going to be, you know, you're, you should be expecting negative growth here, right? And I think that's, that's what I would expect to see out of um, uh, out of China for the quarter. Um, but remember, there are some businesses that may be growing and other businesses that are, are hurting uh, as a mm-hmm. result of this. So it may be shifting where growth is occurring, but as a whole, the company, may, the country may be shrinking uh, economically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think the main takeaway from this is this is a short-term problem, right? It is not going to be, as far as we know, you know, as of in you know February 2020, this is not an ongoing thing. You know, generally virus outbreaks like this um, have a limited um, you know lifespan. As the medicine gets better, as they figure out how to control um, and you know prevent uh, travel and things like that, the spread kind of is self-limited. Um, and then hopefully, you know, a, vi- a vaccine gets generated, you know, from all of this that you know prevents the spread even further. Um, but I found it interesting too that, you know, people who don't understand what is going on are using this because China had just had their their lunar their lunar New Year. Um, there were people saying that you know in Chinatowns in San Francisco and in uh, Manhattan or I'm sorry in New York um, that people are not going to the Chinatown for the celebration for fear of coronavirus outbreaks, right? So to be clear, there is no coronavirus in any of these places, but people hear China, they hear coronavirus, and then they're associating that with the Chinatown in their local city. Um, you know, so it, it's it's almost silly that, to even think it think of it that way. But it's affecting the economy in ways that are unexpected, right? If if we were just talking about this in a theoretical format, I don't think I would have said, well, I think local Chinatowns in your you know, that have nothing to do with Wuhan are being affected by this. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there are ripple effects that are going to be felt across Europe, uh, the U.S., because they're so heavily dependent on China. Um, but I, I think the other thing is that, you know, I, as far as I know, there are no confirmed cases in places like Vietnam and Thailand, um, or, or if they are, they're very limited. Um, these may be opportunities for these countries to start kind of expanding their... Um, manufacturing capability and you know people may start shifting um their sole su- source supplier from china to other places yeah yeah exactly uh, what one i just want to add one more comment on uh what you pointed out in terms of uh kind of this uh hyped fear about coronavirus and chinatowns and and you know, chinese tourists i was in europe i was in france for a little while about three two weeks and uh there's obviously, you know, in Europe, especially in France, uh, in Paris, it is a, I mean, I think 30% of their GDP is, is from tourism. And a big part of tourism is, is Chinese tourists coming to Paris and, you know, buying luxurious goods and things like that. And obviously with coronavirus, the number of uh, tourists went down. Um, but even with that, uh, there is a, you know, kind of built in uh, 
uh, fear, uh, you know, to to towards a towards a, a Chinese tourist. And uh, as you mentioned, there's you know ripple effects, uh, societal ripple effects, uh, even outside of just economic ripple effects uh, taking place uh, around this coronavirus. Yeah, and I, I think to your point there on around tourism, the real uh, companies that may be affected that are U.S. based are uh, definitely airline companies. Mm. You know that that are going to lose um, travel between China, travel between Southeast Asia. You know, due to these uh, flights being canceled because of the WHO and countries preventing travel. So, yeah. you know, I, I find it interesting to see if this continues. You know, we have the Olympics set for, I believe, August or September. Um, you know, is that going to affect the Olympics? Is that going to be able to, you know, even happen because of this? Um, if the if the coronavirus hasn't been controlled by then, uh, which I think it will be. But, you know, who knows at this point? Um, so there's a lot of things that are, um, you know, that depending on how long this goes, this may have a fairly big impact. And, you know, the other thing that we we haven't really discussed uh, around this is there are a lot of companies in China that have a lot of debt. Um, and, you know, obviously they're not making any money right now. You know, is the Chinese government going to um, secure these debts because of the, the thing? Or could we see could we see a systemic... Uh, unraveling of the world economy because of that, right? Um, because of these companies going under. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it has not, this is not, wouldn't be the first time that this has happened in, in terms of bank failures causing big ripple effects because of, um, you know, what Warren Buffett called the the uh, weapons of financial mass destruction, uh, you know, credit default swaps and things like that. Um, I don't know enough about these you know, things to see how it would affect them. But um, mm -hmm. there's definitely some risks uh, associated yeah, with, sure. the, with the ripple going out beyond China. Yeah, uh, just make co a couple comments on that. I think, you know, obviously in China, there is a lot of, um, as you mentioned, there's a big, big debt problem in China right now. Uh, I think the last decade, there was a big promise of super hyper growth, uh, not just people uh you know, outside of China looking in, but also people within China expecting this hyper growth to happen. You saw, you know, obviously the remnant of that is all these ghost towns that exist kind of symbolizes the once hope, you know, once great hope that it was. And now it's, you know, empty ghost towns. You see a lot of these projects that are debt finance. And now companies are sitting on this, you know, massive pile of debt with no way to pay it off. Um, and I think, you know, this is a systemic problem in China right now. And as you mentioned, this is a risk. If you have a economic slowdown, how do you finance? How do you pay for these debts? How do you take care of these people? I think from a societal perspective, I think that's an important question. Another comment I want to make is numbers coming out of China is something that I think all of us should be a little bit, you know, we have to be a little bit more, you know, a little bit more cautious around, especially I think in terms of economic data that's coming out of uh, the Communist Party, uh, the government authorities. Um, uh, as much as as much as I would like to believe in in these data, um, and obviously not that's not to say that economic data coming out of Western countries, Western democracies like U.S. or U.K. are perfectly pristine. There are obviously obvious faults there, but you know the the, the degree to which um, kind of manipulation happens uh, around around these numbers is you know there's no equivalent uh, you know to Western democracies, I think, uh, when you're talking about 
uh, numbers coming out of Chinese government. So I think that's another point I wanted to make, uh, just that um, we have to be careful about these numbers. We can't take them at face value. Yeah, I, I think the um, the big risk here is that um, the Communist Party in China you know, tries to control the messaging to its own people, to the, the rest of the world. Um, and, you know, what they have been saying for the last couple of years is, you know, everything is good, you know, we're doing well, everything's great. Um, and I think what we've seen with the trade war, which, um, you know, we only saw the first phase one of that deal signed, is, I think it, I, I mean, the U.S. is strong-arming the, Chinese government and it is actually having an impact right now what is the, the overall impact I don't know yet um, uh, but I do think that it and it's hard to tell because like Becca was saying they're not telling us all of the you know all of the facts right um, but I do think what we're seeing is that you know China for the most part has you know had very low uh, cost of labor um, and then they started manipulating their currency to reduce you know, to um, essentially keep that cost of labor low relative to the rest of the world's currency, right? And that's kind of how, you know, because their their cost of living has gone up faster than the rest of the world, um, they should have not, should not be a heavy manufacturing country as heavily as they are, right? Had they not been manipulating their own currency, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, um he is right in that regard in that you are um, effectively reducing their, their cost of labor artificially by, by manipulating their currency. Right. And so the end result of this is manufacturing in China has been, has, has stayed there when, you know, their natural progression would have been to more knowledge based work than, mm. To phase it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to slowly phase it out. And and so Yeah, that's interesting. The market force so let me just if I can quickly recap what you're saying is yeah. the market forces had the Chinese government let the course play out, uh, let let this let this play out its course, the market forces would have phased the entire country out of slowly out of manufacturing. But right. they came into the system and artificial artificially injected the company with you know, the cheap labor, and therefore uh, the market forces isn't acting uh, right. as it should. Right, and so what what you're seeing also is countries, the, the countries have, uh, I'm sorry, the companies have a lot of debt on the books, um, and in China, it's a lot of it is short-term debt, right? They they don't really keep long-term debt. Um, so, you, you, you know, short-term meaning in the financial sense paying pay, has to be paid off within a year. Um, you know, so things like this for a country that's already on sort of, you know, rocky ground, right? If you're a manufacturing country, right, which China is because they have billions of, you know, a billion, 1.3 billion people, they want heavy labor-based industries, right? And, you know, they have, and because they're a totalitarian government, they're forcing labor, you know, people to be in the labor force, right? Um and so th th that's kind of what we're seeing right now is it's hard to trust anything that comes out of this country. Now, does that mean that they're going to collapse economically? I, I doubt it, right? I, I mean, but there's going to be pain, right? And that pain may have an impact on the rest of the world 
as they are unable to pay for, um, you know, service their own debt. And then companies that are, you know, generally companies that, you know, fall apart when that happens are companies that are already on the margin, right? So companies like Alibaba and Tencent and the ones you've probably heard of are fine, right? Because they're, you know, the bellwethers, they're they're the, the large moat companies, they have a very large market cap. Um, but it's the ones that are in the smaller, you know, agricultural businesses, the smaller industries, um, some of these companies that are based in Wuhan that are, you know, manufacturing things, they may get wiped out because they don't have the, uh, you know, the debt um, servicing capability anymore, especially when they've lost two or three weeks of production. And then, you know, having to ramp all of that back up is not the same as if it were just, you know, the next business day, right? When things are running smoothly, you've got to service it, maintain it, you know, all of those things. Um, And, you know, who knows how much of your labor force will actually be available if they're under the quarantine and things like that. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. I think, I think those are all, I think salient points Ari. Um, And I think it kind of goes to, I think it's reflected on, you know, to a degree, obviously, as value investors, we want to look at individual companies. But if you look at overall companies uh, that are listed here in the U.S. Uh, or dual listed, um, you can see the level of discount that is being applied to some of these countries. And I know some some people in the in, in the investing community call them China discounts. I know something very similar exists in Korean companies where you have the perpetual, uh, albeit small. Uh, threat of North Korea, so the companies in Korea are generally lo- relatively trading at lower PE uh, overall. So something kind of like that is happening with Chinese companies for those mid to lower tier companies, like big tier companies, Alibaba. I think they're fine as they are, as you mentioned. But you're seeing that discount being applied in the marketplace for companies in that tier for Chinese companies. Yeah, generally anything that has a household name is going to be fine. It's the companies you've never heard of that are going to be the ones that are affected, right? And that's true of almost anything, right? Even in the U.S., if there was a shock, um, you know, there may be one or two big companies that fail, but they were probably teetering to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, companies with high margins can weather this storm by, you know, either lowering the price or things like that. Companies that are on razor-thin margins can't afford much loss in sales. And if they're also heavily indebted, they get wiped out, right? That's just yeah. kind of how it works. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you've heard me talk about Toys R Us all the time, right? <laughs> Toys R Us was a company that was paying a lot in interest. Um, it was a very profitable business. Um, but because of interest, um, you know, that they had taken out because the company that bought them was a private equity group, put in a bunch of money to, to buy the business by using their loans. Um, and then the debt was never paid off. You know, the servicing of that debt became too expensive and then it wiped out all of their profit. And then eventually they just went under because they could no longer even invest in their own stores, right? Yeah. This, is a, this is a very common thing for, for a lot of companies that have been around for a long time is that because the debt level that they have put on you know, for whatever reason, some CEO has decided that he wants to, you know, take this old stayed business and try and grow it. Um, it eventually comes back to the the debt level itself is all is all their revenue is paying for, right? 
all of your profit is wiped out because of the interest that they have to pay, let alone the you know the principal on the debt itself. Yeah. Right? And, and when that happens, that wipes out a company pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, things like, maybe a couple points here, um, you know, you all, obviously, in one of the checklists, one of the checklist items, um, you know, for people who have been listening to our podcast, you know, that we go through a checklist every time we analyze a company. And one of the things that we have to look at is, what is their debt level and how financeable is it? Like, is it manageable? Is it is it a point where it's manageable? All, you know, not... Not every debt is bad. Some debt, if you use it wisely at the right time, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. But obviously, you don't want to be in a situation like Torres R Us where you know, they ha- they're, they're so overwhelmed by the, uh, you know, the debt requirement. Um, and so obviously, that's the first thing that's one of the first things that you have to look at in terms of analyzing companies. But another thing that I want to point out is you know, things like coronavirus. No one really knew that this was going to happen, right? No one really knew something like this was going to happen. This is sort of like you know, something out of the unknown, unknown door that's coming out uh, and, and really binding us. And so how do, you, how do you kind of think about um, the sort of unknown situations that no one really predicted and it's now having a massive impact, at least you know, short-term-wise, it is having a massive impact. How do you think about that from value investor perspective, Ari? So I, I don't... Um I don't. I buy companies that are way undervalued or I comp- buy companies that have a large moat and that's it. I don't have to worry about the unknown unknowns because if they have a large moat, they're protected, right? Their business model will protect them because there aren't many competitors, right? And if they're very undervalued, I want to ensure that they don't have a whole lot of debt that could wipe them out, right? So every every investment that you make, you're going through that checklist specifically for that reason, right? Is that you want to uh, first eliminate any businesses that have any potential for being wiped out after by any single event, regardless of what that event is, right? You want companies that it would take three, four, five, six events to knock them out, right? Because those, you know, when you start adding big events, it doesn't really um, become likely that they'll happen all in sequence, right? Companies generally have time to recover from those things, right? But debt is really where companies get wiped out. It's not because their earnings decline. It's not because of that. You know, it's always because they have too much debt and then somebody has to call it in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would say is the unknown unknowns, you can't really know them. But what you can do is say, because by definition, you can't know them. But what <laughs> yeah. you can do is know the businesses well enough to know that they're strong enough to, to weather downturns, right? Mm-hmm. And expect, is this business recession-proof, right? So, I mean, think of a company like Dollar General, right? They're a neighborhood market, um, you know, that you can buy household goods, you can buy um, some food items, you can buy various things. It's kind of a get-in, get-out store, right? And they're generally cheaper than what you would do at a grocery store, maybe with lower quality items, Right. They do very well, even in a recession, because the the consumer who is you know squeezed financially will go after those businesses, you know, to buy more. So they do they do well when other businesses may struggle, um, you know. Yeah. So whereas you look at luxury item goods, those are the first things that people will give up, right, in a recession, is because yeah. they don't have money for. By definition, a luxury item is not something you need, right? So. I think it's important to really pay attention, one, to what is the business, what is its moat, um, 
And, you know, what is the valuation that that business has? Because most businesses will take a haircut in a recession, right? And if they're really good businesses, then it's an opportunity for you to buy more um, and hold on to it. And in other cases, it may be an opportunity to, um, you know, to shift your portfolio into things that are better, you know, that have better moats than what you already own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this obviously co comes back to um, the the thing that we always champion in this in this episode in the, in, the, in this podcast, which is you always have to go through a checklist and you always have to understand your business before anything else, right? Um, so under, you know, understanding the moat, understanding the business, what protects it from competition, what protects it from uh, you know catastrophic single event like this, and also really looking at the debt level, like you mentioned, Harry. So those two, like those two things, among uh, among other things that we look at in the checklist, are a way to prevent the unknown unknowns. Because, as you mentioned, by definition, unknown unknowns is unknowable <laughs> until it happens. Yep. Uh, and so, in preparation for the unknown unknowns, the best thing you can do is to really understand your business, uh, and uh, and 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 be prepared for the unknown unknowns. Because by doing that, you are preparing for the unknown unknowns. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so the coronavirus, uh, I think it's an interesting topic. It is, uh, you know, we're recording here in still February uh, 2020. Still, uh, still a number of people who are infected, number of people who are dying from this is still going up. Um, numbers coming out of China has gone up. Uh, other companies, countries are affected by it. Now with the end of Lunar New Year, people are going back to work. Uh, there's been some discussions about some auto auto part manufacturers in Wuhan. They're gonna uh, they're debating whether or not to start the operation or not. Uh, there are a lot of discussions happening right now. It'll be interesting to you know it is interesting to follow uh, what's going on and think about it from the perspective of value investing. Um, anything to add from from your side, Hari, before we close out? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, great. Well, thank you guys again for joining us in this episode. Um, really appreciate you joining. I know this is our second episode in the, in the new year. Uh, we have uh, really good episodes coming coming out uh, uh, prepared for you guys in the next coming weeks. So please stay, uh, you know, stay engaged, stay tuned. And if you guys would like uh, a copy of the, the checklist that we talked about in this episode, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org info at valueinvestor.org. We'd be happy to give you a copy of that, of that checklist. We also have a, a Slack channel. Uh, it's an online community where you can join and, and uh, you know, ask us questions, ask each other questions. It's a community of our listeners. Um, so if you would like to be part of that community, please email us also at info at valueinvestor.org. We'd be happy to send over an invite. Um, Great. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Um, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.